So we've been talking about all these different things, and we're, we're going to focus on miracles for this one. And by miracles, a lot of things in the book that I read that I would highly recommend that you guys read, please read this book. He's really focusing on healing miracles mostly. But a lot of these things that we're going to talk about, they can apply to many, many different spiritual things also. The principle is the same, because a lot of times people saying that these things don't continue, they're using the same principles to talk about all of them. So we're going to talk a lot about healing, but this can apply to any, this can apply to spiritual warfare, this can apply to you know, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all these things could, you could look at them through the same lens that we're going to look at. So, okay, I accept uh, the idea. I get behind the idea that the Holy Spirit's still working in the body, you know, in general. And maybe I accept that, okay, maybe he's still giving us gifts somehow. Like, obviously this Holy Spirit's still working. It's very hard to deny that from the Bible. And he's empowering us for ministry and life. Okay, but all the weird supernatural stuff, right? I don't have to deal with any of that. I can just kind of leave that to the side, and, and that's, that's safely back in, in the end of the New Testament where it belongs, right? Well, first of all, if you were here last night, you know that that's not true, right? And it's important for us, too, by the way, you're allowed to count your own spiritual experiences with the Lord as evidence. Those count. Now, we know, well, I understand, we know the dangers of using our experience and our feelings to make theology. We get into a lot of trouble with this in matters of sexuality, especially. Well, but I have a friend who says they love Jesus and they're gay, so it must be okay. No, no, no. We don't use our experience to define things, but when you have an experience that lines up with Scripture, you're allowed to count it as data. You're allowed to say, hey, look, the Lord did this in my life. That's important, right? And you, you're, you're able to discern the Holy Spirit as well. So there's that. I believe that the Lord did several miracles in our presence last night. So I guess we're done. We can just be done and go take a break, right? Um, look, a lot of Christians in the West, and maybe even some of us in the past, I definitely fit into this category, even though I was conceived, born, and raised in Calvary chapels. A lot of us in the West seem to take for granted that there's an imaginary line in Scripture where God has just stopped intervening miraculously. Used to happen, happens all through Scripture, and then we hit this magical dividing line, and now we don't expect to see these things anymore. People have different, very good practical and theological reasons for this belief. I, I, I want to be careful when I say this because it's, it's so easy to start throwing bombs at people that love Jesus and the Bible makes it clear that we're not to do that. Those are not my servants or your servants, they're God's servants. So they have very good reasons for this belief. I don't think they're sufficient reasons biblically, but they're not silly. They believe them for a reason. Number one of them is experience. I haven't seen or heard of miracles happening and I don't often see them in the American church. Therefore, it seems that miracles don't really happen as much today. Theology. I believe that the miraculous works in Acts were just the foundational work of building the church, and they stopped after that. If you start with that assumption, it is very easy to read Scripture in that framework and come to certain conclusions. Now, the problem is that that assumption comes from outside Scripture, and we shouldn't be importing our ideas and philosophies into Scripture that way. That's the opposite of exegesis, right? It's called eisegesis, where you, I start with this, and I push it in there, and then I read it all through that. We shouldn't do that, but that is easy to do. Disappointment. Maybe I prayed for a miracle that I did not receive. Or I witnessed so many fakes and frauds that were paraded about as the work of God that I just said, look, this is all fake and I, I, I'm not going to pray for any of this anymore. That's understandable. Or training. I've been hammered over and over by a naturalistic world that it's stupid and backward to believe that such things are possible. This one especially applies to other things, even not just healing, right? Uh, oh, you believe that you pray and the God of the universe listens to you, you idiot, right? Is how we get, it's what you hear all day long. Oh, you really believe in angels. That's cool. Right? Like, that, these are the things, that, and you can start to have these attitudes in your heart too, very, you know, if you're not careful. So, what I want us to do is look, I don't believe that any of these are sufficient reasons to, to make theology. So, I want us to look quickly at the evidence today, see if these positions hold up. My primary source, again, is going to be a book by Craig Keener called Miracles Today. It's a shorter version of a huge scholarly two volume work that he's done. This is kind of the one for you and me that we can read. And it, to me, this 
I didn't have as many questions before. I've kind of, look, for all the experiences I've had here and in, in Calvary Chapel Lynchburg and stuff, I, I, this was not something I was questioning anymore. This book put the last nails in the coffin for me. I was like, all right, whatever. I'm never going to question this again. If anybody comes at me with questions about this, I will just hand them this book. This thing is ridiculous. Um, this is essentially an exhaustively documented set of eyewitness testimonies, sometimes including medical records and multiple different eyewitness uh, reports and explanations of doctrine behind them. So highest recommendation, please read this book. The essential takeaway is this. Wondrous works are happening. They're happening throughout history. They're happening throughout the church. They're happening all over the world. That's not the question anymore. right? It's not a question of data. We have that data. The question is, how and why are these things happening? And, and what does that tell us about how we need to read scripture? It's not a question of like, do miracles happen today? Yes. Like that's done. We, we know that these things happen. So, in, in, so we're going to talk about two things. First of all, I want to get the, the, fir, the last objection we had, the science one. Just we live in a naturalistic world. Okay, listen, guys. You're a Christian. You believe in God. You believe in Jesus. You believe in the Holy Spirit, right? He's the third part of the Trinity. He's not the secret one. Like he, He's in there, right? You believe in, I hope you believe in angels and demons and all these crazy things. You believe in the whole two, have, the whole two testaments. We've been reading Revelation for crying out loud. You believe some weird stuff. It's not that difficult. This is just one more that you add in. If you can accept all these things, miracles really aren't that hard, right? So uh, this is a quote from a book called Miracles by C.S. Lewis that I also recommend. He says, it's mere confusion of thought to suppose that advancing science has made it harder for us to accept miracles. We always knew they were contrary to the natural course of events, right? Like we said before, we get it. People don't raise from the dead. We're not stupid. We understand that that's how science works. A miracle is God stopping how science works. It's different from that, right? We understand that. We still know that if there is something beyond nature, miracles are possible. Those are the bare bones of the question. Time and progress and science and civilization have not altered them in the least. Again, that's from the book Miracles by C.S. Lewis. That's, I 100% agree with that. This is not a scientific question. Belief in miracles is what's called a metaphysical question or a philosophical question. It's a question about what the nature of reality is. If you accept that reality can have a supernatural component, miracles are possible. Full stop. If you accept that it doesn't, it can't, then of course miracles aren't possible. But you made that decision before. Let's be honest. This is a philosophical question. Okay, so that's, that's why we're bringing a philosophical question to how we read scripture. That's what the debate is over. Science has nothing to do with it. Even honest scientists will tell you that. There's plenty of doctors. In fact, if you read Craig Keener's book, he said, there's plenty of doctors who don't believe in God at all, but they'll throw up their hands and say, I just don't know what happened. So call it a miracle if you want. I can't explain it with medical science. That happens all the time. I mean, it happens far more than you'd believe in hospitals. But they just don't have an explanation for it. That's what an honest scientist does. He says, well, that doesn't fit in my box, so I don't know what to say about it. That's what science is. Miracles are different. The theological arguments now are going to be pretty simple, and we've already discussed them a lot this weekend. The Bible tells us that our natural world is subject to constant alterations and disruptions by its maker. Right? Like beginning from creation, God made a world, he made a reality, and then started doing things with it. So we're not deists. Right? A deist would be like a person who says, look, God is like a watchmaker. He winds the world up, and then he leaves it sit, and he doesn't mess with it. That's not Christian belief. We don't, we don't think that. We believe God is constantly doing these incursions into our world and, and messing with things. Now, he doesn't always do that, at least in ways that we can perceive, but sometimes he does. Simply put, you need to find a clear place in Scripture that tells me that these abnormal works of God have ceased. If I'm going to believe that this has stopped, you better show me in Scripture very clearly, because Scripture makes it clear it happens a lot. <laughs> and there's some weird stuff that happens. You, there's some crazy things that are in Scripture. Some, some young youths, not boys, it's youths, it's different. 
some dumb teenagers, are mocking a prophet, and he, he curses them, and some bear, a, mur, a miracle of bears happens, and these kids get ripped up, right? That's weird. The guy who got tossed on the bones of Elijah, or Elisha, I can't remember, we mentioned it, like, and he raises from the dead. That's weird. You read in the, there's little parts of the Gospels that we forget, where Jesus, you know, puts mud on a guy's face, or when Jesus is resurrected, it all of a sudden says, the tombs open, and people just walk out. That's weird. Right? There's lots of weird things that happen in the Bible. Explain to me why those things stopped. I sincerely believe, after searching the scriptures, speaking to men that I trust who've searched the scriptures, reading a lot of stuff about this, I don't believe that you can find that in scripture. Now, you can find it from outside scripture, and you can have a good reason for that that makes sense to you. We could have a discussion about that, but that's not a scriptural reason. Scripture does not have a, a place where it says, and now the age of miracles has ceased. That's just not there. And... In believing this, we in Calvary Chapel are in agreement with the vast majority of both the present and the historic church. In fact, you'll find that people who are hard cessationists, meaning they believe that most supernatural things have stopped, that's a very small bubble theologically that is kind of an aberration. The vast majority of the historic church has not thought that. And there's some reasons why we think that now, or some of us think that now. Uh, let's go to Acts chapter 2, 14 through 18. It says, Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. And this is Pentecost. People were speaking in weird tongues. The Bible's funny. So people were immediately saying, like, oh, look, these guys are tying one on. And Peter's like, dude, it's nine. Like, come on. That's not what happened, right? You've got to have a different explanation for this. He says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now, let's ask a theological question. If this is the beginning, according to Peter, of the end times, Joel prophesied about the end times, you are now in the end times, and therefore this behavior is being seen. Prophecy, visions, the, the pouring out of the Spirit upon all flesh. Okay, are we less in the end times now than they were? It's not a hard question. We can do it even after barbecue. No, we aren't less in the end times, right? Because that's not how time works. And this is true, by the way. You don't have to be dispensational to believe this. There's lots of excellent covenant theologians that I differ with on a lot of things, but they also agree because they're honest about Scripture. No, that, that's not how it works. They might not, you know, they might have reasons. And they, look, there's, there's covenant theologians that love speaking in tongues and are fine with it. Like, this is not a question of that. This is a question of how you interpret Scripture. Whether you believe that we're in this covenant or this dispensation or whatever you want to call this, it's very clear that beginning in Acts, this one includes crazy stuff too, right? And that doesn't stop until the end times. In fact, it says it will increase as we approach the end times. Well, we're still approaching because we haven't gotten to Revelation yet. So we should still expect to see these things. John chapter 14, beginning in verse 10. Jesus says, Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Don't ever listen to a fake spiritual person who says, oh, we don't need miracles because those are just to get you hyped up. That's what Jesus said they were for. He said, I'm doing miracles so you can believe them. That's the point. You need them. <laughs> you need this to build up your faith. That's not a, that's not a cop-out. That is spirituality. It's to see something spiritual and say, oh, that seems like it's real. That's what we're supposed to do. Anyway. Side, side note. Verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. That's a pretty clear statement. He says, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. 
And, and the word work, Tyler talked about this. The word work means the works, the, the, the miracles, the miraculous signs. That's a pretty broad statement. Seems like if Jesus had intended, you know, Greek's a very precise language. If Jesus had intended to circumscribe that and draw a little line around certain people, he could have said, hey, you know, Greek being very precise, hey, the apostles at this table are the ones who will do the works that I do. It would have been very easy for Jesus to say. He did not say that. He said, whoever believes in me will do these works. What, uh, I love this, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. 14, he repeats it because I guess they were questioning it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the word cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and I will be in you. Skipping to verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Now go home and read all of John 14 in context. And then we ask ourselves, which of these things that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be doing for us, did he stop doing at Pentecost or at the end of the first century or at the death of the apostles or whatever marker you want to pick? When did those things stop? I certainly hope that the Holy Spirit hasn't stopped giving us perfect peace or teaching and bringing to remembrance everything that Jesus taught us, or comforting us, or taking care of our fears, or any of those things, those are all still ministered to the Holy Spirit, right? Well, those are right next to, in the text, Jesus saying, and this Holy Spirit is going to fill you to the extent that you're going to do greater works than I did. And remember we said, it's a total cop-out to say, yes, we're going to evangelize the whole world, and Jesus never did that. That's great. I'm all about evangelism. But the Holy Spirit is specifically sent to send us out in power to do that. So that those signs will accompany the gospel to the point that people will, will accept them and be saved. The works are important. And Jesus said, right in the same breath as the comforter will be with you to take care of you when you're dealing with the, the spiritual warfare and the anxiety, which we also still experience, that didn't stop. He says, also, he's going to be with you to empower you in great ways to do the things that I'm telling you to do. Those things go together. We can't just have the parts of the Holy Spirit's ministry that sound nice to us and don't sound scary. He's, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit acts the way that he wants to act. He's not it. I was convicted one time I was reading, I was reading a Calvinist commentary <laughs> of all places. And uh, James Boyce, who's a wonderful commentator, said, you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't, you, you can't call the Holy Spirit it. His pronoun is he. I said, oh, that's really good. I didn't think about that. He said, why? He said, because he acts and does and talks in the Bible. And just to call him it is quietly in your mind to switch him into like the force from Star Wars. And we're not supposed to do that. That's not who the Holy Spirit is. That changes how you view the Holy Spirit all of a sudden. The Holy Spirit has an opinion about what his work is. And through Jesus, the Holy Spirit is saying, this is what I'm going to do. It's going to be like this. And you don't get to have half of what the Holy Spirit does because you're comfortable with it. That would grieve the Holy Spirit, I think. If my kid said, I like you, Dad, for certain things, but I'm also I'm going to ex not accept these other gifts of yours, I would be grieved. That's exactly how the Holy Spirit is. He's bringing us a whole package. And Jesus said, it would be better for him to be with us than Jesus to be here. Now, don't shortchange me on that. Oh, yes, because now we have the closed canon of Scripture, and that's better. Come on. That's silly. I, like, I love Scripture. We're Scripture people. But don't pretend that that's something other than it is. Jesus said, it will be better for the Holy Spirit to be with you and working through you than my presence. In Jesus' presence, people got healed, demons got cast out, dead people got raised, all kinds of crazy stuff happened. That's table stakes now. If at least that doesn't happen, then I don't think we're seeing the full work of the Holy Spirit. That, that seems logical, right? Because that's what Jesus said. Um, if we're part of whoever believes in me, then we should humbly, obediently, and submissively expect to do the works I do. 
That's what Jesus is saying there. And he doesn't put a time limit on that. He doesn't put an expiration date on that. Craig Keener, who wrote the book Miracles Today, says, The early church fathers provide abundant evidence that gifts such as prophecy and miracles continued in their own time, even if not as abundantly as the first century. Right? I don't accept the framework theory, but there's nothing to stop me from saying, yeah, I don't think these things happen exactly in the same way as they did at Pentecost. That's no problem. Look, revivals are revivals. Revivals always have unique things happening. When we experience revival here, we're going to see different things that won't continue. That's how revival works. We're not seeing the same things that happened in the Second Great Awakening. That doesn't mean that those things stopped, though. It just means that they are still present. The Holy Spirit could still do them, maybe less frequently, which is how it works. The Holy Spirit will break out in a place, almost, it seems, and then things will happen, and then those things may slow down, but they don't just stop because, well, they happened back then. We don't ever get to say that. The Holy Spirit keeps renewing these things. Did Christians in the medieval and modern periods continued to embrace these activities of the Spirit? It is, in fact, cessationism, which is the theological term for believing that some activities of the Holy Spirit have ceased from the New Testament, that is not well documented in earlier history. It seems no coincidence that it arose only in a culture dominated by anti-supernaturalism. What does that mean? We're the weird ones, guys. In all of human history, to believe that somehow we can have the God of the universe and not accept that his Holy Spirit has opinions and does weird stuff. We're odd. Every other Christian generation has had to believe this because they see it and they expect it and they see it in scripture. We, have, we are the ones who have defined our theology by our experience. Because we lack faith and we don't see these things, we say, ah, these things must have stopped. When the opposite is true. If we do not see what the word promises us, we have to go back to the Lord and say, why are we not seeing the things that the Lord has promised? That's on us. It's not on the Holy Spirit. We can't define what the Holy Spirit is going to do based on how poor our experience is. And that's where these things get connected to the practical experience side. Look, just because we may be weakly not seeing these things in the U.S., number one, they're happening in the U.S. We just don't do a good job of talking about them. Uh, but Craig Keener in his book talks about how miracles occur today in the whole world in the U.S., in medical settings, in non-medical settings, among people who did not have pre-existing theology and expectations to see a miracle. I love this because people say, oh yeah, sure. The, 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 there's a lot of weird racism that happens with this. I'll just go ahead and say that. Meaning, lots of people say, oh yes, sure. If you go to Latin America, those excitable people see all these you know, miracles, but we're smart. Guess what? Miracles happen to Presbyterians and Anglicans and Catholics in Europe and lots of places where we think that we're too smart for them, right? It's not about who you are or how intellectual you think you are. The Lord just shows up. Sometimes the people who were not expecting that this would happen as soon as they pray in faith. Happens among charismatics and non-charismatics. It's documented with such detail that the question moves from one of evidence to one of philosophy. We have the data. We, we know that these things continue to happen. Ask any honest, you know, for fun, ask, uh, ask a medical professional that you know if they've ever seen something that they can't explain. You'll get some fun stories. That just happens. But it doesn't get talked about because very often it happens among people who haven't been taught scripturally what to call this. And so they're concerned that when they talk about it, well, I don't want to be a weirdo. Like, I don't want to be a weird Pentecostal. That's not, I, I'm not like them over there doing weird things that we all agree are wrong. So I just can't, I, you know, like we said, sometimes the whole, the Satan will lie to you. Well, don't, God doesn't want you to tell anybody about this. That's ridiculous. But that's what he tells you because he's trying to contain the impact of the sign that God has done, right? There's stories in this book, I can only tell a few, there's a story in this book about a, a woman who had such advanced uh, state MS that she was really crippled, she was like laying on a hospital bed, her muscles were completely atrophied, she was just curled up in a ball, her family was fully expecting her to die, I mean she had gone through many, many near death, you know, health catastrophes because this, her organs were shutting down, MS is a horrible thing. 
And um, then one day she just feels like she was visited by the Lord at her bedside and he told her to stand up. And she stood up and looked down and saw that her calves had regenerated instantly. Now that's, again, now you hear that and you're like, I can feel you go, well, okay. Look, the doctors, that she, as she's walking down the hallway trailing all of her IVs that are ripped free, the doctors are like, oh, that doesn't make sense. I saw you 15 minutes ago and you didn't look like that. There's accounts of doctors, nurses, medical professionals who dealt with her case afterwards, her entire family who had no idea what to do with it. And they're all like, I, I don't know what to tell you except that God just like changed how her whole body works. She was able to stand up, use her arms and hands, which she was not able to use, all that stuff instantly. There's a story of a little, a woman who had a little baby who had a, a condition. They were pretty sure that he had some sort of condition similar to dwarfism where he, his, his arms and legs weren't going to grow proportionately to his body. So she's just struggling with this and is praying for him in, in her home. And he's about to have this appointment where the doctors are going to do some tests and determine, okay, what are we thinking is going to happen long term? She's praying for the kiddo and she's watching as his arms are growing out of his onesie where like his elbow is not visible in his onesie and then all of a sudden now his elbow is poking out beyond his onesie, right? And then takes him to the doctor and the doctor's like, I don't know what to tell you, but this is not how this kid was the last time you brought him in here, so I guess he's fine, right? Do again, documented, you have doctor's reports from before and after. This is not just a thing that somebody's saying. This is well, well documented. Um, we've already covered, you know, Brandon's story, which I was not, I was not there when we were praying for Brandon. Uh, but I know Brandon, I'm pretty sure he's not lying. Um, I was there when we were praying for Emily. Um, my wife and I are very firmly convinced. You cannot convince me that she wasn't miraculously healed of a blood clot in her like leg when we were pregnant with Nora. And here's how you know. Ask a medical professional who's in touch with the situation. <clears throat> and when you start to hear them say things like, well, it looks like blah happened, but we know that that doesn't happen. That's how you know that you've seen something miraculous. Because that, that's exactly the, the language you start to hear. All these stories, you hear medical people who aren't believers usually say, well, it looks like what happened was, but we know how this works, so that's not really what happened. Yeah, but that's what we saw. Right, but I'm just saying, I know how this works, so that can't happen. Okay, cool, but, but what about this, right? Same thing with her blood clot. She had a, a large blood clot that was swelling her leg, potentially could have caused all these problems. And we're in the hospital, you know, medically transported. And then all of a sudden everything resolves over about two days and they go in for an MRI and they say, oh, well, with the previous test we did showed the blood clot, it was here. Now we don't see it, but before we didn't really see a blood clot. We just saw like there was this swelling and the doctor said, so it looks like what happened is we caught a blood clot in the act of happening. He said, but that's not how blood clots work. He said, blood clots don't do that. He said, either you, either you have a blood clot or you don't. You don't catch it in the act. That's not how it is. He said, so I don't know. And we just got, and, and it literally took us two years about to suddenly realize, wait a second, that was like, that's not just a thing that happened. That was God doing something miraculous. There was a blood clot. Her leg was swollen to twice the size of the other one. We prayed about it and the blood clot went away. And to the extent that the doctors couldn't find, she's still on her medical record, doesn't actually have clotting on her record. They have this weird thing of like, I don't know if something weird happened because they don't know how to actually medically classify it. Um, Oh gosh, did Tyler ask Tyler a story about a pastor that he knows that he has spoken to who prayed for a man whose tumor fell off in the pastor's hand. Fun stories. Why the guy doesn't have that in a jar, I don't know. Like mistakes were made, right? Like what are you doing? Like surely, come on. But anyway, I don't know what he did with it. I still would love to ask. Um, but that's a, real, that's a real thing. Like, I mean, he, he said, I prayed for a guy and when I stopped praying for him, I had something in my hand and they went in and checked him out and the tumor was gone. The Lord works in mysterious ways. Um, we prayed for a young man who had a tumor. I was there. We were praying for him. He went, we checked up on him two weeks later. He said, oh yeah, I went in and they said, I don't know where it went. It's gone now though, so you're good. 
Maybe a better question isn't, is God healing today, but why do modern Christians find the idea of God healing miraculously so unbelievable? That's the question we've got to ask ourselves. It's a hard question. Why is it so hard for us to accept the, these stories? I can feel it in you guys even right now. I can feel it in myself when I read them. Every time I read that story about the guy with the tumor, I'm like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, that doesn't make sense, right? Why is that? It's a deficiency in me. It's a lack of spiritual senses in me that I need to sharpen. That's not the Lord's fault. This is, this is, is there any reason biblically why that story couldn't be true? No, God does, has done weirder stuff in the Bible, but it makes me cringe because I'm so used to a very nice, neat material world in a box that these things bother me. That's on me. So we're going to close with a very short field guide to miracles for modern people. Number one, if you want to see these things and understand what you're seeing, you need to accept that you live in a supernatural world. I won't beat this to death. We've talked about this. If you believe that, you're, that you live in a material world and that God's not going to intervene, guess what? You're not going to see miracles very often this is the case because God says, I, Jesus said, I can't work in that area. I'm not going to work in a place where my works are going to be scoffed at or not believed. If you insist that they won't occur, don't be surprised when you don't see them. And I will also say the scoffing and superiority of the skeptic ought to be anathema to the Christian mind and heart. And this applies, by the way, for denominations you don't like and people whose theology you don't agree with and periods in history where you don't think the church was doing its best. We, we should be ashamed of having this attitude of looking back at like medieval history and saying, oh yeah, you see all these stupid miracle stories. I bet th none of those happened. Why? why? Why can't we accept, especially at a time when the church was so weak that God's people couldn't even read the Bible, why wouldn't God work miraculously? None of those stories seem weird if I line them up with the Bible. Now, I don't have to believe that all of them are true, just like I don't have to believe that all miracle stories now are true. There's some stuff that I firmly believe didn't happen. But I also should not approach them with the idea that none of them are true. That's not a Christian attitude. That's a skeptical attitude. That's not how we work. We start from the assumption that God does supernatural stuff, and then we test all things. That's the order that we do it in. Number two, don't expect fanfare. This is just from my experience, but also from studying these things. The theme that's repeated is that miracles come and go very quickly, and they have very little fantastical effects. You know, there's very, there's not a, you're not going to have a halo. There's sometimes you might not get chills. I mean, we talked about there can be some physical effects. I'm not ruling that out. I'm just saying you can't expect that that's going to happen every time. You, it, it, a lot of times God does a thing. He sets something right. And then everything just proceeds on as normal. And it's almost unnoticeable until you go back and you say, wait a second. That, that's something happened. And you, everybody has to talk about it and say, D do you think something happened? Yeah, something happened. This is true of biblical miracles. The, the disciples didn't always recognize Jesus because it was so weird to them that he'd be alive that he was just walking there and they were like, I don't know, it's got to be something else because that doesn't make sense, right? Mary didn't recognize, oh, it's the gardener or something, I don't know, because it wasn't Jesus, even Jesus, when he was resurrected, didn't come in some ridiculous form, which he could have, that they would have immediately said, oh my goodness. It was, it was a very quiet thing that he was doing, which tends to be how God does it, usually, not always. Number three, we need to ask God to increase our faith. We so often overlook the works of God because of our insistence on our own knowledge. We need to humbly accept that God loves us, that he wants to work in our lives, and that he insists on being uncontrolled and unfettered in his ways. Like I said, there's lots of these things that happen that God does for people that go unrecognized because they happen with people who aren't expecting them and they don't have a box for them. Ask a doctor that you know, especially one that isn't saved. It might make them uncomfortable, but ask them. And saved, saved doctors are all about that. You can ask Tyler's uh, sister, she'll tell you all kinds of stories. She's like, watches out for this stuff now because she knows that this stuff goes on. Number four, prepare to be surprised. Both when God works and when he doesn't, his ways are higher than ours. God is three persons in one. He's not a scientific formula. He's not a genie. He's not a magic spell. So you should expect sometimes to pray and be disappointed. It's a risk when you're asking the Lord to do a miracle because he's not always going to answer your prayer. 
That's for sure. I have prayed for miracles that have not happened. I've also prayed for things with not a lot of faith that have happened. I can't, I can't predict that. I don't know how that's going to work every time. I'm always like, okay, Lord, I hope you show up. But God, the Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. Right? He, has, he has specific pronouns in Scripture, the exact same ones as the rest of the Trinity. He's not a mystical force. He shows up when he pleases, just like God does, right? because he is God. So that's an important thing to remember. Number five, prepare to never be the same. If you're struggling with all of this and wondering if it's real, reach out to God and desperately ask for these, in kind of, these kinds of encounters. Why? If you're struggling with doubt, I can be unconvinced of a lot of things in my mind, but you can never unconvince me of the actual things that I've seen and encountered and experienced, whether they're in this room, in the hospital rooms, or anywhere else. So that's, that's why we pray for these things, is we're supposed to. We're too weak to not ask for these signs that the Lord told us to look for. 